Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I Welcome back to Hate Fiction. Today I'm here with a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Marilyn. Prozac baby. Two thousand, like zero to zero on Twitter. That's actually um, very appropriate. Wow. I know. <laughs> Dude, I really like. I jumped the gun with the Prozac thing. Like, I don't even take Prozac anymore. Like, and now it's like. <laughs> So I brought you on here today to talk about Prozac Nation and Elizabeth Wurzel, the author of this infamous memoir. Um, What's your experience with it? Uh, I I think I read the book maybe, I want to say like 15, 14, 15. Loved it when I was that age. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like I feel like. It was, like, that, the virgin suicides, like, that whole, like, sub-genre of, like, literature that, like, <laughs> yeah. really, like, struck a chord in, like, the Tumblr girls, I guess. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's how we all came across that book. So, what did you think when you first read it? I mean, I loved it when I first read it. Like, I just, like, like I think anything, like, set in, like, New York and, like, like, categorized, like, about, like, women's, like, struggles with, like, mental health. Like, I feel like when I was that age, I was just, like, like, going through, like, I guess not, like, the same things, but, like, like, the same genre of, like, yeah, hating yourself and, like, mental health struggles. And so, like, I feel like it was just interesting at that age. And, like, I think, like, rereading it as, like, when you're older, it definitely still is, like, good, but I just don't think it struck the same chord as, like, depressed black and white yes like (laughs) depression like that same thing I just don't think it like stuck as much but it's still a great book yeah no definitely I mean as I was telling you right before we started recording like I reread it yesterday (laughs) like literally just like read it in a day reread it um and like as I was reading it I just like the only thing that I could think was that God, like, I can't believe that I, like, related to this so much when I was, like, yeah, like, 14, 15. Because it is very dark. Like, a lot of the things that she talks about is, like, I mean, those are really awful experiences. And it's kind of horrible that, like, so many young girls could relate to that stuff. Because it's, re- like, it's a horrible, like, mental space to be in. Definitely. No, like, yeah, like, all of that stuff, like, it just... So, like, and it felt, like, so personal, like, at that age. Like, you were just like, this is me. Like, yeah. Like, uh. <laughs> like, it's such a horrible thing to think about that, like, 14-year-old me, it was just like, what is me? Like, this is so horrible. Like, <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, I think the book is interesting because there's a movie as well with um, Christina Ricci and um, Jessica Lange playing her mother. Yes. Um, the book is a bit different because the book like jumps back and forth in time and then goes from like her childhood to like her time in Harvard to like, you know, her like really hitting rock bottom and like really like going through it and ending up in a mental hospital with like a suicide attempt and whatever. Well, as the movie is pretty much focused on her Harvard days, but the book is a lot more detailed, but also like, it's a lot more confessional than, which is kind of like the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about. 
this like um, culture of confession that exists now, which the book, I guess, sort of actually started in the 90s. Yeah. No, yeah, like, just like, like, because even like, I feel like people our age, like, I feel like you grew up with like, a Finsta, and then like, a private Twitter, like, just like all of these like, ways of just like, putting out like your entire like, life story on the internet. And like, I was thinking back, because I was like, why at like, 14, 15, did I have, like, a Tumblr, and then, like, a, like, second Tumblr, yeah. a regular Instagram, a Finsta, like, a private Twitter, a regular Twitter, like, all of these things where I was just, like, telling, like, like, my friends, but also just, like, strangers, basically, like, anything that, like, went on in my head, which, like, get a diary, like, I don't know, like, yeah. like, uh, like, I don't know, like, I feel like, and I feel like most of that's, like, wiped from the internet now, but, like, is anything wiped from the internet? Like, I, oh, it's just like freaky to think about. Like, no, absolutely. And I think the impulse itself that kind of, I guess, sort of stays with you as well, this like impulse to overshare, which was like so prevalent. It's, I mean, it's still super prevalent. Like, I think, like, if you look at like more, because women like write confessional essays for like the cut and stuff, right? So it's not just, it's like, you know, that um, Caroline Hallway, Natalie. Beach, oh, yeah, yeah. I think her last name is Essay. I mean, obviously, it's kind of like a hit piece in Caroline Callaway, but also at the same time, it's like a very confessional essay, right? Like, this woman is like opening up about her experiences with like this terrible friend that she had in college and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's a very confessional thing, which is, yeah, which again, like, connects to actually Caroline's brand on Instagram, which is like all about oversharing. Oh, yeah, like. Like, when her story will just be, like, little dots. <laughs> yeah. Like, something now. Like, I'm about to hear, like, her whole day. No, yeah. Like, or just, like pictures of her. Like, oh, that one Instagram post is, like, her in a bikini. And then she's, like, my father passed away. Like, this is, like, <laughs> like the whole thing. And it's, like, three paragraphs about, like, her dad's passing and, like, her dad killing himself. And, like, all of that. And the pictures are, like, like posed and thing, like, with the bikini on. Yeah. And I'm, like, all right. <laughs> well disconnected but like word <laughs> and that's the thing about Caroline Colby though that is she's actually a huge fan of Elizabeth Wurzel and yeah, yeah, yeah. she's like constantly posting about her no and I feel like you can definitely see that like not necessarily like I don't know I guess I haven't really read that much of, like Caroline Colby's writing but like, <laughs> I, like you can definitely see that in the way that she does like post don't like talk so much about herself and like mental health and like all of that stuff but, like it definitely is inspired by elizabeth yeah i remember when she was like posting pictures of because elizabeth wrote two memoirs she wrote um resignation and she wrote things called now more and again or something along those lines it's like a memoir that she wrote about her experiences with the drugs um and she like posts pictures of her with with um elizabeth's memoir and kat marnell's memoir how to murder your life and like she posts like stories of that together <laughs> uh, i actually read kat marnell's memoir like i said like a month or two ago oh, i really liked it yeah it was i, I like kat marnell i think she's a very interesting person yeah, no, she's right. fascinating. But I mean, I think it's interesting because if you were to trace that whole, like, you know, female confessional writer thing, it literally all started with Elizabeth. Like, female-led, like, you know, female-written memoirs, like, self-centered memoirs did not exist before that. Like, Prozac Nation was really the first book. And I think it's in the, uh, in, like, the, 
epilogue to the book, she talks about how originally, like when she first got the book deal, the book wasn't even supposed to be about her. It was supposed to be like a study of mental health in America at the time. And that's where the title comes uh, comes from. Because it wasn't like, it was literally supposed to be like antidepressants and stuff in America. And then her being herself, she like turned it about herself, you know, like she made the whole thing about her life, which is, I mean, she started a completely new genre. People weren't doing that before. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's cool. She, I feel like she's just like a very like cool, like interesting person to like look at. No, yeah, she definitely had like I don't know, like she obviously changed drastically in how she looked over the years. I mean, if you look at like early pictures of her and how she looked like right before her death, it's a completely different person. She doesn't look like herself at all. Yeah. But I think she also had really serious health issues. No, yeah, because she had cancer, I'm pretty sure, because that's how she died. Like yeah, breast yeah. cancer, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. She's like, oh, scary. Yeah, no, it's awful. But um, yeah, no, she started off as like, a, like she looked, she was incredibly beautiful. She was like basically like the kind of the ideal of what like a female, you know, self centered writer is supposed to look like. And yeah, no, I think that's kind of what attracted so much attention to her as well, because she like famously posed on the cover of her book as well, which is kind of like. Yeah unheard of like that's a really bold yeah. move no because i feel like whenever you're like looking at like the memoir section at like a bookstore it's always like like just like a like very like plain cover and then like you go to the back and that's when you get to see and i feel like if you read any other memoirs you're like reading the whole memoir and you're just like wow and then you like go to the back and it's just like like just kind of like a plain looking woman and you're like all right like i guess like this kind of makes sense but yeah like elizabeth wurzel is like just like gorgeous like i feel like casting Christina Ritchie like as her like I feel like they do look kind of similar so like, it did kind of work like in the movie um which Christina Ritchie is also like very beautiful so yeah, yeah just like very like as you said like ideal like beautiful woman so yeah I mean she also like because and, and, and to like describe how the cover of the book looks like it's basically her in like a tank top posing like very provocatively and like I think yeah. the original cover had like barbed wire and whatever around her picture or something it's like like a weird scrolly yeah. thing so it's like a very provocative photo to put on the cover of her first book and it was her first book no, like no. she had never written anything before which is of course like completely unheard of yeah no I think because she's got like her arm up and she's like pouting and like yeah, yeah. her hair is like so long <laughs> Totally. It's like this whole book about how she's completely crazy and like mentally no, no. ill and just like, yeah. <laughs> but to like bring it back a little bit to so like Carolyn Colvin, like confessional culture online, because that's pretty much what we ended up with. I mean, women still obviously write memoirs and a lot of memoirs are getting written literally every day. Like, I feel like that's kind of become like the most popular book genre right now. Like everyone kind of has a memoir. Like, even yeah. people never, you, like, never wanted a memoir from, like, obviously, like, famous actresses, like, um, who was it recently that, like, wrote a memoir? Like, Demi Moore wrote a memoir not that long ago. Like, all these actresses, they can barely write, like, mem- write memoirs now. But also, yeah. like, you get so many memoirs from, like, random women. And a lot of them are kind of, like, centered around mental health and, like, um, like drug addiction and stuff that, like, it's kind of, like, the most popular genre now. No, Definitely. Or, like, even just, like, memoirs in general, like, I feel like there was that period, maybe, like, 2012-ish, where, like, I feel like every, like, YouTuber was, like, coming out with a memoir. Like, I feel like every single one was getting, like, a book deal where they are just, like, telling their life story. 
we're just like, do we need the Jake Paul memoir? Like, <laughs> oh my god, I didn't know he, like, I didn't know he wrote one. I'm, I'm like eighty percent sure he's got one. Oh my god, <laughs> like I feel like everyone was getting that, like a book deal where they were just like writing like everything about themselves, like like Zoella have like four. Maybe she had like a store. I think she had a book, like a regular. Like I think she like wrote a book. Oh wow. No, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, but that's kind of like the culture that that book spawned in a way that we like now we kind of because it's like think about people opening up so much about like their mental health and like their experiences and like their like just like their life in general is kind of unthinkable. Like you can't even like really picture it in your head that somebody would have done that like in the 80s when she first wrote it, you know? Yeah. People got, like, their careers destroyed for that stuff. And, like, after resignation, it's like the whole culture changed drastically. But that's another thing, actually, I wanted to ask you about. Um, do you think that it's, in the in the long run, it's kind of a neg- like a negative thing that people are um, opening up so much? Um, I mean, I definitely would say yes, because, like, like, I feel like it's very, like, I guess, like, normalized now <laughs> for, like, you to, like, have, like, maybe, like, someone that you're not, like, really friends with, but, like, sort of friend, like, maybe, like, a friend of a friend, and you already know, like, they're, they have, like, generalized depression, generalized anxiety, like, their, like, whole, like, mental health life story, because I feel like it's just, like, normal now to, like, joke and be like, ah, ha, ha, like, I haven't like been able to like leave my bed in three days and it's like more of like a light because I feel like now it's more like a lighthearted thing like you can talk to someone and they're like ha 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 haven't like yeah done it I'm like declining like my mental health's declining horribly like I feel horrible ha ha like and it's just kind of a joke now and like I feel like before like 80s 90s like you wouldn't you like if you were just hanging out with friends you wouldn't be like haha like I feel horrible like I want to die like yeah right it's definitely more normal now to just like talk about everything (laughs) that goes through your head like mental health wise like I feel like it's not like like there definitely still is like shame about talking about like serious mental health issues but I feel like it is more normal now to just like be able to like use humor I guess to kind of like weave through that and, like, reveal, I guess, like, deeper things about yourself that, like, maybe you wouldn't reveal in other situations. I mean, there's also, I think, to a certain extent, there, like, I don't know if you've ever seen those TikToks, but, you know, people, like, filming TikToks and, like, their depression rooms. It's, like, this horribly trash, like, room with, like, filled with garbage and, like, clothes all over the floor and whatever else. And they're, like, filming a TikTok about it. It's, like, ha-ha, you know, like, hanging out in my depression room. And I do think that, like, that especially, like, just evokes some sort of, like, it was, like, a really negative emotion in me that almost makes me, like, want to shame that person, which is horrible, right? Because it's, like, yeah, like, this person's struggling, but there's something about this, like, oversharing and, like, over... Like, self-pitying posts online are, like, mm-hmm. they don't actually, I don't think they lead to anything positive in, like, in any No, not at all. No, yeah, because I feel like, yeah, like, I don't need to know that, like, a stranger who, like, I will never meet is, like, like, they can't clean their room. Like, I, like, don't need to, like, that's, like, something, like, that's not benefiting me. It's not benefiting them. Like, I feel like, if anything, it's just, like, I don't know. Like, it's just, yeah, like, it's just, like, negative. Like, I don't need to know that. <laughs> like, at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
No. Yeah, I, I do see those TikToks a lot. They're just like horribly disgusting rooms that you're like, I feel like there should be a little bit of shame in like <laughs> yeah, posting totally. them. I feel like this should be normalized. Like, yeah, I mean, it's also something about the impulse that people have to like post it online. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's one thing. Again, it's one thing to be struggling, but there's something about the dichotomy of like, you know, you're struggling so much you can't clean your room, but at the same time, you're not struggling enough to like prevent you from producing content and like film your horribly trashed room. Like there's something about like this, you know, like, yeah, like this dichotomy, like this difference in how you say you feel and how you must be feeling to like be able to film it. No, definitely. Because like as someone who like does, has, and, like does struggle, struggle with depression, I feel like when I'm like that bad, my brain doesn't even like process that I am that bad. So like, that's why I always am like, how are you like, aware enough to know like this is bad like haha look at this but not aware enough to be like because I feel like once I hit that level of aware where I'm like ew my room is disgusting like yeah I don't want to share that but like fix it because like ew (laughs) so like yeah so I don't ever feel the compulsive like need to share it online because once I get to that headspace I'm like it's time to get better like (laughs) this isn't good no totally yeah Yeah, so I guess that's like why that like I guess, like, tr- like, I hate to call it a trend because I feel like that shouldn't be a trend at all. But, like, that trend's, like, never really made sense to me. And maybe I'm just, like, older, so now I'm, like, like, I'm not 14, so I don't feel that, like, yeah. same way that they feel. But I'm just, like, ugh, like, gross. No, but I mean... I also, think- like, digital footprint. Like, digital footprint. Like, do you really want, like, your, like... like you are now, like, because I feel like most of the time it's, like, under their name. It's, like, okay, your full name. Everyone now knows that your room is, like, in this way. Like, is that really what you want to be known for? Like, Right, right. But, I mean, I think I do that. That does kind of go back to, like, this culture of, like, oversharing and over-confessing every single one of your, like, flaws and every single one of your um, whatever. That, like, and I think, because the thing about, like, TikTok, right? Because what it does, ultimately, it's people, like, producing content and promoting themselves through that content we've kind of reached this point now where it doesn't matter whether the way you present yourself or like the way you promote yourself as is is as this like mentally ill you know incapable person because obviously people make huge brands out of it like that's the whole thing with caroline holloway right that like despite her incompetency and like despite her struggles with whatever she's struggling with at that time like she's very much proud like she's you know she's made a whole career out of being incapable to do things being capable to like finish a book being incapable of like you know I remember watching the story of hers once where she was like talking about how she was supposed to like do some work for someone but she was feeling so depressed that she was just gonna stay in bed and like watch a movie and like then she proceeded to like post for the rest of the day but she never like got that thing done that she was supposed to do or something so there's just something about like this impulse that people have now where like, even if you're promoting yourself in a really negative light, it would seem, or like, as a very, like, you know, like, incompetent person, that's still okay, because you're promoting yourself, and you're building a brand online, so it doesn't matter what kind of brand you build, so it's kind of, it is kind of this, like, Prozac Nation Elizabeth Wurtzel idea, where by writing that memoir, she ultimately presented herself as, like, a very, you know, troubled person, but it didn't matter, because, you know, she earned a lot of money from it and she made a whole career writing about her issues. So I think people kind of think about it in this light now where it's okay to not solve your issues 
as long as they like help you build a career. No, definitely. Cause I feel like now, yeah, with things that would have caused like a lot of shame before, like being like, as you said, like a very troubled woman, like not drinking Galway, like not being like in another world. Like, I feel like if you were like, oh, I have to do this thing, but I'm too depressed. Like I can't do it. Like you'd get fired. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you would lose that opportunity. There would be no like funny, like, haha, like I'm building a brand off this. Like you would be fired. You'd be out of work. Like, yeah, you got to figure out another way to make your money. Like, like it's just completely different now with like the compulsory need to like share this and make a brand out of being like, I hate to say it, but like a shitty person. Like, yeah. Cause I feel like, yeah, not getting your work done, not doing that, like is not good. Like you're not building a good like reputation for yourself in that way. No, totally. Like that's bad. No, absolutely. And now it's like, it's like okay to do that now because you could make it turn it around and be like, Oh, like, well, I'm depressed. Like I can't do this. Like that's my brand now. Like I am like depressed, but I'm still working through it, but I'm having an off day now. But like next week I'm going to be better and do all this, then it'll be okay. <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, to a certain extent, like it is how it works. Like sometimes you really aren't incapable of doing things when you're really like mentally down. And I think everyone kind of like, because by this point, I think literally like 98% of people have struggled with like mental health issues one way or another. Like it's so common and widespread now that it's not no longer like, you know, like a niche issue, but like something about like allowing people to like build brands of it and build whole careers out of it kind of like allows them to all also like remain in that constant state and like wallow in their you know, like whatever experiences, there's this really interesting bit in the book. I don't know if you remember it, um, but where she has that boyfriend, Rafi or whatever his name is. Like, I think it's like towards the end of the book, that boy who she meets in Brown, like they had met like a couple years before she went to Harvard. But anyway, she like calls him up and they like start dating. And at some point, like she figures out that he's only dating her because he's into people who like, have issues because his whole family has issues like his sister is like mentally ill like his mom is like psychotic and stuff he basically like enjoys like he's like a caretaker you know he enjoys taking care of people and like she like kind of like figures it out at one point and they break up and whatever and he kind of dumps her but like she then like um in the book she like goes on and on talking about how like yeah like that relationship like was good for her because he allowed her to experience love and stuff but at the same time like by staying with him like she also allowed herself to remain in that like mental state for longer because he like protected her. And I think this like thing with oversharing online and like, like putting, like making yourself like an, an incompetent, you know, like mentally ill person online, you allow yourself to remain in that space because it's like, it's like, you know, when you're like, um, Maybe this is going to be controversial, but whatever. Like, you know, when you're like a body positivity influencer, right? Like, if you lose weight, your career's over. <laughs> over. Like, you really, like, put yourself in this, like, like role that, yeah. like, you, like, if you're, like, a size 14 and you're like, I love my body, I love this, but then you decide to, like, diet, work out, and now you're a size, like, six, like, you're not going to get that same, like, fan base anymore because everyone who liked you liked you because you were like that like they liked that like they want they saw themselves in that like you've now completely shattered like any kind of like 
relevance that you had. No, definitely. I've always thought about that because, like, I feel like a lot of, like, I feel like that's why now, like, I feel like a lot of, like, body positive, like, influencers, like, there's that one girl on TikTok. I do not know her name. But she's, like, I feel like in, like, the big, like, TikTok, like, with, like, Addison Rae, like, like, the, like, big, like, TikTokers, like, people made their career off TikTok. And, like, I want to say she's, like, a size four, maybe. But, like, she, like, poses and she's, like, I blow, like, here's me, like, a full day after eating. And she'll be, like, bloated. (laughs) Like, it's just, yeah, like, it's just, like, her bloated. And she's, like, this is normal. Which, like, okay. But, like, I don't know how that's helping people who are, like, oh, no, like, I have, like, body insecurity because it's just, like, bloating. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just, like, I feel like that's the new, like, I feel like that's the new way to, like, be a body positive influencer without, like, I don't know, like, being, like, a bigger person. (laughs) No, that that is so true. But in a way, I guess that is kind of a safer way to, like, be a body positivity influencer because, yeah, like, the, the thing with, like, being, like, genuinely, you know, like, bigger and making a career off that is that you're going to be stuck in that forever. It's like, you know, that um girl who was in, in Euphoria, uh, Barbie Ferreira, I believe her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, because she started as, like, an American Apparel model, right? And she was, like, relatively yeah. slimmer. And then she got, like, basically she became, like, the token plus-size girl for, like, all of these, like, edgy campaigns. And then it's kind of like she was forced into gaining more weight and, like, really, like, making a career out of it, which is horrible that you would, like, force a person into this. No, yeah, because, like, I remember following her when she was, like, an American Apparel model. Like, she was, like, I don't even know, like, I think she, like, worked at American Apparel and then, like, took photos, like, in the thing, in clothing mm-hmm. and then got hired, like, as a model. Um, and, yeah, I remember always just being, like, oh, she's just, like, like, really just, like, normal, like, body type. Like, yeah. now I feel like she is definitely, like, token, like, larger, like... I feel like she's, like, on HBO's, like, call list for any time they need, like, a plus <laughs> side. Like, no, yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that's kind of, like, the thing with, like, literally all of those, like, every time you make a career off your, like, I mean, let's call them flaws, right? Like, every time you yeah, make yeah. a career out of your flaws, like, that's the position you're constantly stuck in. And I think it's also interesting to, like, look at it, look at it from, like, the mental health perspective because – Obviously, like, some people are genuinely, like, are going to struggle with mental health and, like, depression, like, all these things for the rest of their lives. But for most people, it is kind of, like, a very brief point in their lives when they go through that. And then they, like, either literally grow out of it as they get older or, like, you know, move, things change for them. And they, like, become more, like, more well-adjusted and, like, like healthier and happier and stuff. And it's kind of, like, a real... um, yeah, it's like a real hole you're never going to get out once you, like, allow yourself to, like, be this person. There's this, I don't know if you've heard of her, but there's this influencer on Instagram, um, Eileen Kelly, I think her name is. She okay. has this podcast called um, Going Mental. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and she, she was, like, she was, like, a regular Instagram model influencer type. She was, like, friends with, like, the girl Sarah Snyder and, like, that whole group of people. And then, okay. and then she ended up in a mental hospital, and now her new thing is, like, mental health awareness. And it's like, okay, like, on one hand, sure, people do go for shit. Like, you know, everyone is mentally ill now, genuinely. And, like, we should be talking about it. But, like, I feel like she is now going to be stuck in this trap forever. She's going to be the token mental health Instagram person. Yeah, because, like, then what happens when you're, like, oh, I'm feeling better? Like, I don't, 
like feel these like things like do you just like continue to post as if you do because you don't want to lose like your fan base or like your like like title as this like mental health advocator like yeah like it's like a slippery slope because like what do you do like i feel like you just like fake that you still feel horrible so that you still have relevance like no totally yeah it's just like, yes. <laughs> But it's funny because I think Elizabeth Wurzel ended up in this like hole as well, you know, in this trap where she published uh, Prosignation, like it, it like became this bestseller, right? And like people were expecting things of her. She would like went on these like TV shows. She was like on Charlie Rose and stuff. Like she became really big off of that memoir. And then it's like, okay, she has to continue writing about her life again, right? It's like, what else is she going to write about? Like, obviously she kind of got her mental health under control. Like she can't write about her depression again. So it was like the obvious step for her to get into drugs. It's almost, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, you know, like just cause I don't know if you remember those bits from Prozac Nation, but at some points, like throughout the novel, she constantly talks about how like she wished she were a drug addict because then her problems would make sense and they'd be easier. No, definitely. And like, I remember like, Sorry, go for it. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of times, like, if you are, like, addicted to drugs, you have drug issues, and then you do have these, like, mental health issues, like, with it, like, it is more like, oh, like, it's okay, they're depressed, but they're, like, addicted to drugs, so, like, it makes sense. Whereas when you're just, like, depressed because you have, like, kind of blood valves in your brain, and, like, that's just, like, how you are as a person, like, it's definitely more just, like, ugh, like, why like I feel like even just like for yourself and you feel even worse because you're like I like my life is fine and like why am I having these issues like nothing else is contributing it it's literally just myself that's like making these issues like there's no other contributing factors like I'm just broken not like I'm doing drugs therefore like yeah I yeah no totally there's this one memorable quote from the book I think it's, it goes something along the lines of like all I ever wanted was for this pain to make sense. Mm-hmm. And like, I do think no, that, that kind of epitomizes like the feeling. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, it's no, just no. like, I think there's a slight delay. So we just keep on like talking <laughs> over each other. <laughs> no, I feel like that definitely, I feel like I remember that quote when I was younger and I just like, definitely like reading that and just being like, oh, like everything like hurts. Like this makes so much sense. Like yeah. why can't I just like, have an issue to peg this on like ugh. I have a fun story about it I read the I read Presentation for the first time when I was like 13 and like really going through it and then I reread it um I think it, it was in like in the 11th grade um and I was like going on a debate trip because fun fact I did debate in high school and I was going on a debate trip and I was like in the bus with like, and it just like somehow the seating arrangement was so that I ended up like sitting next to my debate coach. So like sitting there by the window reading, you know, Prosignation. He turns to me and he's like, what are you reading? And I'm like, I'm reading Prosignation by Elizabeth Wurzel. And he's like, oh, <laughs> and he just turned away. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> No, I just think about, like, any time that I was, like, at school, like, reading the bell jar, like, suicides, <laughs> like, it's just, like, or, like, even, like, Lolita, like, just, like, in class, like, like, I just feel like my teacher must have been, like, something's off, like, we need to help her, because this is, like, not right, she shouldn't be, like, 
14 in the back of like eighth grade English reading Lolita. Like, yeah, (laughs) but there is something to say about like Tumblr girls and reading like inappropriate literature at like young ages. I think all of us kind of went through that. No, like I remember being in our bookstore and I was in I think eighth grade and I saw Lolita and I was like, yes, like I've watched the movie. I need to like read this book and really experience it. And I was like with my dad and I was like, oh, like can I get this book? And I didn't even think my dad like knows what Lolita is. He was just like, okay. Like, and like just thinking about it now, I like asked my dad to buy me like Lolita. Like that just, like that in itself, like <laughs> should not been, should not have been allowed. Like there was like no way but like like I should have felt comfortable. Like oh Yeah. Like the Tumblr brain rot is insane. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, the, the the Tumblr brain rot was really crazy. Like, really, just completely like something about like common sense and like self awareness is completely switched off. Once you like got on that app and like you know like got on that like website, it like completely went away. Um, yeah, it was crazy. But I do think that like Elizabeth Wordsall sort of kind of really like represented because obviously yeah there's like the virgin suicides and like you know like Halita and all those other books but I think like the virgin uh, sorry presignation like really sort of epitomized that like you know like teen girl depression thing because half the book really does focus on like her depression as like a young girl as like literally a teenager going to school and stuff and like you know like struggling through all of that and like like the fact that she then sort of did get into drugs to like make her pain seem more reasonable but also obviously to like prolong her career (laughs) it's like to like I mean it's like callous and stuff as it sounds it's it's true I think there's something I think kind of like Kat Marnell ended up in the same trap as well definitely where she, like, made this whole career out of being this, you know, like, party drug girl, and, like, now, obviously, she's way older, and she should have gotten over it, but she never really did. It's quite obvious that she never really did, and she probably never will. But it's, like, she also, like, what else is she supposed to write about, you know? Like, what else is there for her to do? Yeah, because, like, I don't see Cameron writing, like, just, like, a random, like, fiction novel about, like, anything else. Like, I, like she really is pegged into that, like, party girl, New York, like, chaos, like, archetype, really, and there's, like, no other way. Yeah, because that's, like, the trap you're in, because now, like, you just, like, gain irrelevance and just, like, wash away because you're not that anymore, or do you continue to act that way to, like, further your career? Like, it's, like, a horrible thing. No, it's a horrible trap to be in, and, like, that's that's what Elizabeth Wurzel did. She really, like, she went all in and she did prolong her her career for like another 40 years by doing that. And like, and then she did like weird things like going to law school and like becoming a lawyer and stuff. Like she had this like weird ass, like, like weird, like she wrote like a book about the God, um, like about some like law stuff and whatever. She like ended up doing really weird things at the end of her career. And then like two years before she died, I don't know if you remember any of that, but like, or if you, like, even read about it, but, like, two years before she died, she found out that her her real dad was actually the photographer Bob Adelman, and not her, like, weird dad, and she was, like, she wrote an article about it for the cut, and then she, like, reunited with him right before he died, and then, 
Like, she, like, yeah, she did all these weird things, but, um. sort of the trap of the oversharing writer slash influencer type because you yeah once you make a career out of it that's it like you're gonna be that forever and it's kind of like being typecast but like you're being typecast in your own life like you sort of typecast yourself as this person mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah totally but that's like because the thing with confession like confession oversharing culture as well is that not only do you have these like you know, girls or like, I guess just people in general who make careers off of it. But also you obviously have like the other side of it, which is like legacy media, like, you know, like all those, like, or not just legacy media, but also sites like Jazz- Jezebel and stuff who um, encourage that in a lot of young women, like sort of the, you know, like um, when the whole Me Too thing started happening, like a lot of those sites, they like encourage women to write tell all articles about like their, like explicit articles about their relationships with like, you know, like, men who abuse them or, like, just older men who they ended up in relationships with and stuff. And it's, like, they... It's one thing to, like, be, you know, like, an Elizabeth Wurtz or Kat Marnell type who got, like, a, you know, like, a 500,000 book deal out of it. And then to be, like, this, like, like, nobody writer in New York writing about how you were, like, raped or, like, just abused by some guy and getting paid, like, $200 to write this article for Jezebel. No, like, yeah. Yeah, because then you're not making, like, there's no return on that. Like, it's the article's out, and now you're, like, named as, like, this person who's raped, and, like, it's, like, dangerous, because now you're, like, calling out people. Like, it's just, like, a horrible thing. You're, like, like, because these, like, big companies, yeah, are, like, using women in this way, that, like, now you're, like, it's out that you were, like, assaulted by, like, a big TV exec, but, like, is there going to be any, like, justice? Like, no, because, like, that's it. Like, it's just, like, this article is out on a website. Like, you're not getting any return from that. Yeah, as you said, $200, like, you're good. Like, yeah, no, exactly. Like, they just, like, get literally, like, brainwashed by these websites and these companies into, like, revealing all this personal information about themselves. And at the end, they literally end up with nothing except for this, like, thing attached to their name forever. And it's like, is this person ever going to be, like, big and famous? Probably not. Like, that's where it ends for them. And, like, that's, that's like, confessional culture for you. Like, it just uses people in that way. No, and also, like, when you're already in, like, especially with, like, sexual assault and, like, being raped and stuff, like, if you're coming out as someone who's, like, I want to help, like, other victims, now you're trapped in that where you're constantly getting, like, triggered and like like come like because i feel like a lot of times when you come out with that then people are coming to you and they're like so and so also did this to me they did this to my friend and so now you're constantly being told like these like graphic details of assault which like you didn't sign up for that so now you're constantly like, like every day being triggered with like the horrible like details of like things that like your abuser did to other women and now you're just like trapped into that where you're hearing about it every day and it's like horrible for like victims to hear like every day that like they're doing it to other people like oh it's just like bad no absolutely and i think it's not i mean i think the thing is also it's not literally it's not just women who were 
genuinely, you know, abused and raped, which is obviously horrible. And like, it's a whole other thing revealing such things online. But like, there's also the other thing where women who weren't even necessarily abused or victimized in any way, but just had like negative experiences with like more powerful men or whatever that means, sort of literally being brainwashed by these companies and by their circumstances, selling their stories about literally nothing to these websites. And then not only like, you know, not only are they incriminating these men that might have not even done anything, but also they're incriminating themselves in these like things that they might not even like think about in this light ever again. Like it's sort of like, you know, it's like they're like they're given these like opportunities to talk about and write about it by these uh, blogs and websites, but like without any real like, you know, it's not like they're actually getting counseling and they're like working for their issues and like trying to understand like who like whether, you know, like how they ended up in that situation, what exactly was done to them, like was there genuine abuse or, you know, was that literally just like whatever or like was that a misunderstanding and they end up like in, like sort of like stuck in these cases where it's like you know that whole thing with like Anziz Ansari where yeah 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 like that just, yeah I remember reading that story and it was, yeah, like, it was just like this all who like had like an off experience with him yeah but it wasn't necessarily like like it wasn't like a Harvey Weinstein situation where he was like yeah he wasn't like abused it was literally just like a really uncomfortable date which is like a really weird thing for that like website to do to that girl because or like for her to sign up for because I don't think I don't think she was like yeah like not like again she wasn't like raped she wasn't like sexually abused but like like the fact that she was like sort of she got stuck in that whole me too bubble of like you know if you feel like you were if you feel like something happened to you, something happened to you without like any sort of proof or any sort of like genuine evidence that anything happened to you. Like this sort of like, if you feel like it, then it must be true thing, which obviously doesn't work in any way. Like when it comes to like legal cases or like any sort of cases. And like now. If that were like go to court, like nothing would have happened. Like if it was to not be publicized, it was just to like go through like, like I feel like if she went to like any sort of like, police like they would just be like there legally there's nothing we can do to help you like i'm sorry that happened to you but like yeah but i mean also like like, i'm committed no absolutely yeah it's it sounded like a really uncomfortable date but like like that's it at the end of the day and the fact that like these sort of like these like media companies feed on that sort of over oversharing and over confessional like writing where they like you know like yeah where they like they must be looking for those type of stories and those type of people yeah. to like tell their stories. And, you know, like, like it's literally satanic. Like it's, it's like a sacrifice. No. Yeah. Cause then it's just like, cause I'm pretty sure like, I think probably like, like, I'm, like, isn't like the new season of like Master of None, like he's like not in it. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Cause I feel like I saw it on like the Netflix homepage and I was like, he's definitely like not in this. Cause I feel like he has not gotten booked since that. Which yeah. Like, and I feel like yeah like you're just like it was like an uncomfortable date and I feel like that's something like if it would have happened to your friend like they would have just told you that it yeah. would have gone like onto an article like yeah icky yeah. that confessional culture like at its peak and also like cancel culture like tied into that no totally yeah it's like those things together just end up creating these insane situations for it's like as you said like 
Has she just, okay, so that whole thing happened to her, obviously super uncomfortable. Like, there's some stuff yeah. to like tell your girlfriends and like never think about it again, you know? Or like, just think about it as yeah. like, that was a bad experience. But because there was this culture of like, oh, you know, like you can, you know, just trust the internet as if it were your best friend and nothing bad is ever going to happen to you, which I think a lot of people kind of have this attitude about posting and about like sharing anything online now where like, because you have this ability to like, you know, go on Twitter or like go on Instagram at any point during the day and like express your like most wildest thoughts and like your most personal information without any like real, like, you know, it, it doesn't feel real because it's not like you're standing in front of a room with like thousands of people and telling it to them. It feels like you're just like, oh, you know, just make like my friends are going to see it, you know, that kind of thing. Where it's like you forget that like there are all these people out there that are going to like see it as well. And that it's like you're putting out all this, like you're putting yourself out to be eaten alive or putting out all this energy. And it's like you're cutting off a piece of yourself and like allowing people to consume it. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah, I think there's just, like, no, like, I, I guess, like, as we were talking about before, like, there's, like, no common sense with, like, oh, if I tweet, like, this, yeah, you don't think, like, oh, like, 3,000 people are, like, listening to me right now. It's just, like, oh, like, my friends are, like, my buddies, like, yeah, are, like, being, yeah, like, it's just, like, them. When it's, like, it's not. It's really just, like, a bunch of, like, random people who now, like, peg you as this person from, like, two tweets that maybe you tweet when you were like drunk or something like just yeah. like feeling silly like now that's like you as a person because that's all they know you from they don't know you as like a real person you're just someone they follow no totally absolutely and i think the thing about oversharing and like confessional like posting confessional writing and stuff is that obviously when you write a book or you know when you write an article you are still putting yourself out there for criticism and to be eaten alive by other people, but at least you have the room to like fully like craft an image of yourself in a way. And even if you're still being perceived negatively, and even if you're still, you know, receive all this like negative attention, all this like negative energy from other people, at least you were given like the room to like express yourself as well as you could. Whilst with posting, like you're not even given, you're not given that there's no space for you to do it. So it's like literally you're lucky if you're going to post something, you know, like with Carolyn Collins and stuff, you're like, if you're going to post something and then people know the context in what you're posting at, like that, just like mind blowing post about her dad, as you mentioned it in the beginning, like the one about her like, in a bikini being like, my dad, you know, my dad killed himself three weeks ago and I feel sexy and, you know, uh, you know, consumed by grief and like all these things, like if like a random person were to post that, that would be like the end of their everything, you know? Like if someone you knew from high school posted that, like it would be insane. Like yeah. that would be how for them for the rest of their life. Yeah, because like with a book, like you're going through like like the like whole editing process. Like someone else is reading what you're saying and being like, cut this out, do this. Like when you're just like tweeting, like you don't have like an editor. Like no one's like, Ooh, I don't know if you should say that. Like it's just you. Like there is no editor. Like no. it's just your like mind, like vomiting on like the website like it's completely different no totally and I think the thing about like memoirs and like confessional writing in that like form is that yeah sure it's oversharing like you know you read prosignation and you really feel like you get to know all of Elizabeth like you get to know her like most insane you know compulsions and desires and like her you know like literally all of her issues and stuff but 
like at the end of the day, it is, as you said, like an edited product, right? It went for like multiple people. It was like crafted yeah. into this thing to present a certain image. And that image may seem raw and it may seem, you know, like very real and stuff. And I, I doubt that it isn't because she did seem to be like that kind of person. But at the end of the day, like that is a way of crafting a persona and a way of crafting like your thing. While as with like, obviously with coasting, it's different where there is no filter and there is no editor and there is no, you know, publishing company that's going to tell you to put, to take things out. It's like you, the internet, the audience, and that's it. Yeah. Like there is, yeah. So there's no editing. Like it's just you. Like it's, yeah. Cause like, even as you said, like something may seem very raw and like, real like it went through so many like stages of editing that like probably like the first cut of like Prozac Nation was probably like insane like so insane and now it's like still insane but like different no totally absolutely yeah and it's like crazy but it's crazy in a very like mediated and like controlled way where it's like you get like glimpses of crazy like complete insanity but like you get it in a, like, you know, like, a balanced out way between, like, good writing and, like, because it is a really well-written book. That's the thing about Elizabeth yeah. Wurzel that she's... Sorry? It's, like, written beautifully. That's what I was saying. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a very well-written book. It's, like, she was a really talented writer. That's the thing about her, that she genuinely had a lot of talent. And, like, so you get this, like, insanity, like, yeah, like, balanced out by, like, beautiful writing and like you know like you know beautiful like crafted imagery and all of this and it's like you don't get that online you just get the crazy so like if you get rid of like the talent and the like the skill of Elizabeth Horsley you end up with Caroline Holloway and you end up with these in best case scenario you end up with Caroline Holloway because Caroline obviously has other talents but like worst case scenario you end up with like you know teenagers posting their depression rooms on TikTok no definitely and it's like yeah, like, there's no, like, ugh, like, yeah, like, it's just completely raw and not raw in an interesting way. It's raw in, like, a, this is sad, like, they need help way. Like, there is no, like, interest in that. And I think especially because, like, with Elizabeth Wurzel, like, you, like, I feel like we, like, know, like, we know her. With, like, just random, like, teenagers, like, posting these, like, horrible things online about their mental health, like, you don't know them. So it's kind of just, like, like this isn't this shouldn't be shared like this is icky (laughs) no totally yeah and there's also something about like the way of like presenting your depression and your struggles in a literary way because obviously there's a tradition of that right like from like Virginia Woolf to like Sylvia Plath and like you know Anne Sexton and stuff like all these women or like you know men as well like just all these people like presenting their you know to like go back to her favorite Bruce Springsteen and like you know Lou Reed and stuff like all these people, like, there's a tradition of presenting your pain and through art, so, like, represented through this, like, medium, which you can control and you can manipulate it, while it's, like, social it's media. Like, digestible. And yeah. it's, like, digestible in that way. Like, it's not just, totally. like, a random TikTok of someone being like this, where you're like, this is jarring. Like, I don't, like, like, there's no, like, good writing, like, a good melody for, like, a song to, like, feel like this is okay like it's just completely raw and like not appeasable in any kind of way because it's not edited 
like yeah no, you have no filter of like the art form protecting you from like the sentiment right because like the thing about like depression and mental health struggles and all about blah 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 in in art is that you have that filter of like beauty and self-expression put on it well it's with like social media you have none of that like you don't have that filter so what you end up with is like this raw image of what like you know insanity looks like and you don't want to see that like nobody wants to see that and i think that's kind of what's like missing from like the confessional oversharing culture of today is that like obviously there's always been a tradition of people talking about their issues whether it's from like in like you know like novel form where they would like you know write their issues into into fiction and then it didn't seem as raw and horrible and you could like you know sort of digest it a lot easier as is the case with the Belger, obviously and like any of the class not um sorry poems where it's like obviously there's a lot of pain in there but because it's like mediated through the art form it doesn't feel as raw and strong social media just gets rid of any of that beauty and that's the that's that's the issue with it Mm -hmm. no yeah because like yeah because even like sylvia platt like her writing is so beautiful especially in like her poems and stuff that she's able to turn these like it's extremely like dark and horrible thoughts that like i feel like most people do like definitely like feel that way as well they're just not as good as putting it in the way that she's able to put it in so it seems so much worse you just say like oh i want to kill myself like yeah. it's a horrible like thing like there's no like like appeal to that like just like seeing like a tweet or something of like something of that but like when like sylvia Plath or like anyone else like is able to like turn that into like a whole like poem of like beautiful writing like you're like oh like I feel this way too, but this is digestible. Like I'm able to like relate to this in like a way that's, I guess, more acceptable. No, totally. Absolutely. And I think that's why we kind of need artists and that's why we need these like, you know, like people to like represent, to like present our pain to us in a like packaged and palpable way. Because when you try, when you don't have any artistic talent or when you don't have any skill in any of those areas, what you end up with is like, like, nobody wants to look at depression rooms. Nobody wants to look at posts of you telling people that you want to kill yourself. Like, nobody wants to look at that because the majority of people, like, can relate to it now. It's not, again, yeah. it's not, like, a rare thing to be suicidal anymore. So it's, like, yeah. what you end up with is, like, no one wants to look in the mirror. People want to look in, like, at, like, a beautiful picture of themselves. No, yeah, they want to look with, like, rose-tinted glasses. Like, they want to see, like, like, I feel like if you, if you, like, look at any kind of thing, like, in real life, like, yeah, you're seeing, like, a gross, like, depression room of, like, disgusting clothes and, like, food everywhere. But, like, with the glasses on, you're seeing, like, something that could be art. And I think that's what artists do. They, like, look at that in a way that could be digestible for, like, not even, like, people who are depressed, just, like, anyone who can read that. Because I feel like a lot of people do read, like, Prozac Nation, anything by Sylvia Plath, and they're like, I've never experienced this, but this is, like, amazing writing. I'm like, I love this. Whereas, like, anything else, when you don't have that artistic lens, just comes across as, like, this is sad, they should get help. Like, there's no beauty in that. No, totally. And that's kind of, I think, Prozac Nation itself kind of, like, um, 
represents that idea really well in that, like, you know, when she talks about how other people would treat her and approach her when she was, like, struggling and, like, going through all these things and how they would kind of, like, treat her as this, like, you know, mentally ill animal or, like, as if she were, like, there were two ways that people would approach her. Either if she was, like, too sick to be touched or, like, you know, she was pretending and she wasn't really sick at all. And, like, and then people like that's the two ways people approached her as she was going through it and then when she ended up publishing the book that's when people took her seriously because like yeah. through her talent and her skills she was able to present it in a digestible way as you said like she presented it as like this beautifully packaged thing people were like oh okay like i see what you meant now you know and that's kind yeah. of the thing like i think it's a lot easier and that's kind of like how people there's this bit in a book um in, in prosic nation where she like describes how she's at camp, um, like one of the summer camps that her mom sent her to. And she's like sitting on like the bench with a friend and she's listening to like a Bruce Springsteen song about a girl who like tried to kill herself. And she like, like shows the song to a friend and she's like, oh, this is how I feel. And that's the only way she can think of, of like how to express it to her friend that this is how she feels, like through art yeah. and through music. And that's ultimately what Prosecution does. No, definitely. And I feel like I've even felt that way before, too. Like, I feel like, especially, like, when you're younger and you don't realize that maybe, like, you shouldn't, like, be, like, showing, like, random, like, songs to your friends and being, like, this is how I feel. Like, I definitely remember, like, yeah. listening to, like, Marina and the Diamonds and stuff and being, like, like, listening to, um, and I can't think of the fucking name, like, the big one, like... Teen Idol. <laughs> Teen Idol, yeah, thank you. Like, listening to Teen Idol being, like, this is so me. Like, I think I showed that to, like, one of friends like in like maybe like seventh grade or something and I was like oh, like this is how I feel and I remember her just being like okay I don't know how to respond to this yeah like, like as I said before the Tumblr brain rot was insane like to the fact that I was like oh she met this like she'll understand and she was like no man like I want to like hang out with you and like about like boys like why are we like having this like in-depth conversation about like Marina and the diamonds right now like this is not what I signed up for <laughs> no but that yeah but at least you know that's it gives you a way to like show people your pain I remember this I distinctly remember this one conversation I had with like an ex-boyfriend I mean he was still a boyfriend back then where um I like like the his English teacher, like, made him read Sylvia Plath. And I remember, like, and we, when we had started dating, um, I remember, like, telling him that I liked her and stuff, and I, like, I really related to the Belcher. <laughs> As, like, all girls do. And, um, and I remember him, like, yeah, being made to read that in high school, like, English class. And then I remember him, like, you know, like, coming to me, he was like, oh, like, you know, I feel like I really understand where you're coming from now. And I was just like, that was that was such a funny moment. Like, I mean, it was really sweet of him, obviously, but it's just like yeah. that's exactly. I mean, that's exactly what art does. Like, it allows people to like see other people's pain and like not just in like depression, mental illness way. But I think that's kind of what people are missing from how they view art and like you know films and music and all these things in general is that people like you know this like whole relatable thing you know where it's like oh it's just not relatable to me oh this is so relatable and stuff and people are kind of missing the point that like half of it is not supposed to be relatable to them like they're supposed to like be able to understand other people through it and understand other experiences where it's like not everything has to be universal to the point where it loses all meaning yeah 
No, because you can definitely see something coming from like someone else and be like, this is good. I just like don't. Yeah, I feel like now a lot of times people are like, if I can't relate to this, then therefore it is not good. It's not a good piece of like media. Whereas yeah. like that's not how like I feel like art should be viewed at all. Like you should be able to look at something that like maybe you have like absolutely no like. So, like no relevance in your life to but be able to be like oh this is still like a good piece of media and I like love this in that way no absolutely yeah it's kind of like the thing with like you know movies like the taxi driver and stuff where people are like or like any of those like Schrader's for CV films where it's like you know like um where it's like oh this is you know this is about white male pain and th- therefore it should not exist because it's like not relatable to most people but that's kind of the point of it that it's like this thing that exists to like not even necessarily represent anyone's pain as, as as much as exists to like mythologize it and like present it as like these presented as this like piece of art that is like able to make people feel the pain instead of just like telling people about it. That's another thing that art does well is that by, you know, whatever medium you want to talk about, like music or like film or like literature and stuff, like it not only like allows people to understand, but it allows people to feel it as well. Because it's like, you know, you can, like, read a Dickens novel. And obviously, there's no fucking way you're going to relate to a Dickens novel. Like, like, no one lives that way anymore. But it's like, by reading it, you can, like, feel the pain of, like, that sort of life and that sort of, you know, like, experience. Yeah, because no one's saying, like, cancel Dickens novels. Like, no one needs that anymore. Like, they're still important, like, to know that. Like, it's, like, good to, like like coming from movies like yeah like like the joker or like taxi driver and stuff like that it's still like good to like, like realize like that's going on like you don't have to completely be like i relate to this like it's just like important to like still know that like those are like emotions i guess people feel like it's like good like for the people to know that no absolutely um do you think that like social media is ever going to get to that point where we learn to use it in a way that like allows us to actually create art through it. Cause I've been thinking about this idea a lot, like whether social media by definition is always going to be this, you know, like, like, um, just like something that's used for content production, but never art. Like, I wonder if there's ever going to be a point where we cross into it just being another like art medium or just another art form. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like it definitely could, but I think we're so far away from that point that like at this like point with how like social media is perceived I feel like we can't in this like day and age but I feel like maybe in like 15 years like something like kind of happened among that but it's just like it is like so vapid and like shallow in a way but like I don't know if like we'd ever be able to like reach that point because like even just thinking about like the, the, like, post we talked about, the Caroline Holloway post, where she's, like, in a bikini talking about, like, the passing of her father, like, just, like, things <laughs> like that. Like, I don't, like, just, like, that sentence in itself is so, like, insane <laughs> that, like, I just don't know if we'll ever reach that point. But in a way, does she think that that's kind of performance art in and of itself? That's so vapid to the point where it's, like... No, yeah. She must... No, you're, it, yeah, because I feel like, because even I think people make, like... Yeah, like, I, I didn't even think about performance art in that way, because I think anything among that, like, just, like, insane and important performance art, like, 
So yeah, maybe like performance art, it could reach that level, but I don't know if it'll ever reach the level that like a novel would or like a like yeah. good song. I think like it's just like a completely like separate piece of art in itself. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But like a new art form, yeah, just like a performance yeah, art means form. writing and like all of these things. Because I think in a way, like, you know, like in Persignation, there's this one bit where she talks about how she like she wished she could like write like Springsteen and you know like write these songs and like express her pain in that. And like by the end of the memoir, she realizes that like writing is her music. Like it is the thing that allows yeah. her to like represent herself in that way. And I wonder if like that's kind of what goes on in like Carolyn Colby's head, where she's like, "Oh, yeah. I might not be able to finish this book, but like I can post, and that's my art form." You know. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, like, I could totally see that, like, I feel like it'd be so funny if there was, like, and so then, in that way, is Instagram a museum? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, going to MoMA, but instead of MoMA, it's just your phone, like, going on Instagram. No, yeah, totally. I've been thinking about this idea as well, with, like, podcasts as, like, an archive of, like, the contemporary art forms that are being created so it's like yeah. you know like podcasts and stuff because you're basically just recording conversations with people but it's like the conversations yeah. that you're having are mostly about like either like things that have already passed or like things that are going on at the moment and it's kind of like while talking about all these things because you're not only talking about like the topic that you're meant to talk about that's not how it works kind of like the conversation always ends up going in like different directions and stuff that's kind of the beauty of it and it's kind of like like this idea that by recording these conversations, we're also like creating an archive of like our lives as it's happening. No, no, definitely. And like, I wonder in like, you know, like 15 years when currently Colby becomes like the premier, you know, performance artist of our day. Like if we're going to like look back at this conversation, we're going to be like, oh, you know, like back then when we recorded this conversation, we knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Cause I feel like, yeah, I feel like even, like, a historian, like, future historians, like, I feel like podcasts are really going to, like, fuel, like, I feel like, like, I feel, like I'm just imagining, like, you're, like, a history student, like, being in class, and your professor being, like, all right, I need you to listen to four podcasts before you come to class. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like four podcasts, like, four podcasts that were in the, like, 2021, like, listen to those podcasts and come back to me and see what you have to <laughs> It's probably it's probably gonna happen. But do, do you think? Okay, this this is this is the question of, of this episode. Do you think that podcasts are a form of oversharing as well? I feel like they definitely could be because I feel like yeah, like you're just like sitting and like talking. I think especially if it is conversational, because realistically, like we could be talking, like sitting here and talking about just like any like yeah anything so it's like what the nature of a podcast is so it really could just be us speaking about like we could be talking about like deep mental health issues and that in itself would be us like oversharing but do you so, yeah think, i feel like it definitely could be but do you think a podcast is like a form of whatever you want to call it a form of art or like a form of media or content mm-hmm. or whatever is oversharing by definition because I've kind of been thinking about this idea because like obviously you're talking about like I I, I do I guess people are making podcasts literally about their mental health issues and like literally their lives and like you know like biographical podcasts or whatever but most people are like talking about 
like other topics, but I think in talking about other topics and like revealing the kind of stuff that you're interested in and the kind of stuff that you know things about, you're also like revealing very personal information about yourself because the way, especially now, like we do live under capitalism and we do like sort of view ourselves as, as consumers, whether we want to or not. So by like yeah. revealing the kind of like, you know, the kind of media we consume, the kind of books we read, the kind of music we listen to, I feel like we're revealing really personal information about ourselves that is like, you know, like on one hand, it doesn't seem personal because obviously other people have access to that, like art and media as well. But by revealing those things about yourself, like it's kind of, it, it just feels like you're also revealing, yeah, something personal about yourself. No, yeah, you're right. Because like, realistically, anyone could listen to this. Like people, I don't know, people you don't know, they could just like listen to this podcast and now they know like all these like random little anecdotes about, yeah, like you and I. It's like, yeah, if you think about it in that way, we really are like, <laughs> yeah talking about the thing we were like shitting on before <laughs> yeah it's very meta we're, yeah, we're oversharing while talking about how oversharing sucks um yeah, no, oh that's horrible that would never be us no. like anyway yeah no i mean confessional culture sucks so much it could never be me i could never write an essay about the things that happened to me <laughs> uh, no no it is. I mean, it's funny because, like, I think this is, like, my 10th episode now. And I think, like, if someone were to listen to all these 10 episodes in a row, like, they would know so much about me. Because <laughs> it's just, like, these little bits. But it's, like, you know, I tell these, like, little anecdotes about my life and stuff. And if someone really wanted to sit down and, like, trace it all back, they totally could. Right, yeah. Someone could write a memoir about your life based only upon this podcast. <laughs> they totally could. Yeah. They could, like, write a tell-all article and they didn't even have to, like, dig deep or anything. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, I guess that's how these kind of things are written. You know, like those pit pieces that like the cut releases and stuff. Where it's like you literally just go on Instagram, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's what journalism is nowadays. Like you just Google things. <laughs> you like scroll for someone's like Twitter feed, and you're like, they said this. This is what they believe. Yeah. Oh, it's too much. Yeah, no, definitely. But um, yeah, this this is what oversharing is. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. I feel like we really did come full circle. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, so like talking about how oversharing professional culture is really bad for you to like how actually we're literally indulging in it. But I think that's like that's the nature of social media. But the fact that like by being in social media, you're gonna indulge in confessional oversharing culture whether you want to or not, because like, that's how content gets made. Like you can't con make content out of thin air. Like, even if your whole brand is all about like talking about like art and media and stuff, which is, I guess, kind of what this podcast is supposed to be. Like you can't, it's still, you end up putting a piece of yourself into it. And it's like the same with Twitter, right? Cause even if like yeah. you only do like random tweets about like, you know, commenting on things and like quote tweeting and like retweeting and whatever, you do end up sometimes just, like, telling really personal things about yourself, like, how you feel today, or, like... Yeah. No, because even just thinking about, like, people who are on, like, maybe, like, fan Twitter or something, so if you, like, have an account that's, like, only for, like, I don't know, like, a celebrity, like, I feel like you're still talking about yourself in that. Like, you're not just, like... Like, unless, I guess, if you're, like, an update account, <laughs> maybe that's a little separate. Yeah. And you're, like, I don't know, like, a Harry Styles stan, or, like, something like that. Like, you're not only tweeting about like Harry Styles you're like also tweeting like oh today was shitty like I had a horrible day but 
years of preparing dials up to today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. No, that's the thing. I think there's no way to like create a persona online without indulging in like without like putting a piece of yourself into it. Because that's the thing, right? Like by it's not like obviously like yeah, you can be anonymous on the internet. You can be like you know you can like never post your face. You can like never reveal your name. You can like never reveal where you live. Like you can just keep all of those things secret, and like no one's gonna like you know force you not to. But at the end yeah. of the day, like by I mean, I guess people do dox other people. That's a whole other story. But like, like even if you're going to be completely anonymous, like by creating a brand online, you are building it off yourself. Whether it's like, you know, a secret persona that you create for this. It's kind of like, you know, like a lot of art, like there's a tradition of like, especially musicians creating like alter egos for themselves. Like, yeah, like, you know, Lana Del Rey, like that's not her actual name and stuff. And like David yeah. Bowie, like Ziggy Stardust, like all of these people, they, they created personas for themselves. But like, at the end of the day, it's like the person always shines through. Like, yeah, because you feel like even under an alter ego, you're still talking, like it's still you coming through. Like, it's, unless you're completely so rude to it that you're like creating lies, like realistically, you have like a different name, but it's your experiences, like going through that person. person. Yeah, no, but even if you're even if you're lying about literally everything, at the end of the day, it's like by choosing what lies to tell and how to tell them and like whatever, you're still like you're still going to shine through. Like, there's no way, like, if you, like, you can't, you know, it's like, there's no way to live your life without being perceived. Like, that's impossible. Whoever was going to, like, yeah, it's like, you know, the ultimate fear of being perceived by other people. But it's like, there's no way to do that. And there's definitely no way to do that online because that's what the online experience is. No, definitely. Yeah, because I feel like like I don't want to be perceived like that's like I never want to be perceived but then like they have like and then they're constantly like tweeting or constantly like posting like yeah it's like you are being perceived like whether you like it or not like everyone's being perceived no matter what like there's absolutely nothing that you do to not be perceived in a way unless you like go into hiding like but then like, by doing that as well, you're like presenting a, a sort of like a particular version of yourself anyway. So you're going to be the person like who, you know, went off the grid, who like disappeared yeah. into the woods. Like you're still going to be perceived. Like just that's that human experience. But I have a question for you. Because um, Tumblr was famously kind of an anonymous platform. As in like it didn't require you to like be a person as much as it required you to be like a phantom thing. That like float for the internet, right? Um, do you think that that kind of like, cause it's interesting cause obviously a lot of people sort of indulge in a lot of like, I don't know how to put it, um, like self, like a lot of, that's kind of where a lot of people discovered all of this like confessional art and a lot of this, like, you know, a lot of these like things about like mental illnesses and like all of that, that was kind of like the epicenter of that in the, like the early 2010s and like still to this day, like that's where all of that comes from. Um, like, do you, like, I just think it's really interesting that, like, yeah, it was, like, anonymous and, like, really rooted and all of that at the same time. Like, do you think that by being anonymous, it kind of allowed people to, like, I don't know, <laughs> sort of indulge in that any, even more, if that makes sense? No, I definitely think, no, I can, I see what you're saying. Like, I think, like, cause I think in any, like, circumstance, if you're able to, like, come at something and not names like you make a tumblr you don't have your pit photo to it you don't have your name to it like you could say anything and there really wasn't any like like flat like any kind of like 
criticism because it's like, oh, it's not me. Like, no one knows who I am. Like, I could say literally anything on here, and like, it's not giving trace to back to me when like, kind of is. Like, and then you're creating like this whole other persona of like, this is my like, I guess like me on Tumblr, which is like separate from myself. But yeah, like I definitely would say that. Yeah, because I think being anonymous in any like circumstance, whether it be Tumblr or anything, like can cause you to say things that like as yourself you wouldn't say. Because I feel like even just like go, like if you were like go to a party and like no one knows who you are, I feel like you could be like your like, authentic self because like oh like it doesn't matter. I'm never going to see these people again. Like I can be like as insane as I want to. Like there is no like oh like if I do this, like people who I like went to school with are going to think I'm weird. Like it's just like oh it's strangers. Like yeah there is like like I feel like that like regular anxiety that goes with like talking to people that you already know kind of just like isn't there like it's just strangers yeah but I that's interesting because I started thinking about it like I think in a way maybe even like the fact that Tumblr was so anonymous and people created like personas for themselves and those personas were always kind of rooted in mental illness like and you know self-destruction and stuff in a way i think that allowed people again to like exist in these like self-pitying bubbles for like a longer period of time which might not have been possible were those things not anonymous because like then you would have had to like you know like still be yourself you know like interact with your friends interact with your family interact with like just people and stuff while it's like by being like this persona on tumblr which was like all about self-destruction you self-destructed in that way as well no i would definitely agree with that because i feel like even like outside of tumblr you surround yourself around people who also go through like the same like mental issues that you go through like no one's getting better in like that like bubble because yeah you're living in this like little bubble where like i'm depressed my friends are depressed like maybe you're like not talking to your family at the time so like you're just yeah just like willowing like wallowing in this like self-pity bubble where you just feel like horrible and there's no like need to get better because oh well like if I stay this way like I get to like chat with my friends like this is just all together like we're all bad and I think yeah Tumblr was definitely like that because you would just be like oh I feel this way like I don't feel good and then like you get like three messages from like other people who are like I feel the exact same way and then build friendships with that so it's like this toxic kind of like bubble where you just feel like awful and there's no like need to get better whereas then I feel like when you're like feeling horrible but your friends maybe don't have the same exact like mental issues you just feel like oh well I need to get better so that I can like relate more with my friends and like not feel so like other no totally yeah but um do you think because maybe like i think there's something about like normalizing mental illnesses that makes that sentiment widespread isn't like by you know normalizing norm, you know how people are always like oh normalize depression like normalize not feeling but getting out of bed like normalize like not you know not washing your hair like not taking a shower like normalize all these things like normalize all these pathologies but it's like i wonder if like <laughs> i mean i pretty certain and that's what it does like by normalizing all these things I think what we're doing is that we're allowing like society at large to remain this like self-pitying bubble where it's like oh everything sucks for everyone so like that's just how life is this is just how you know life is literally just all of us being depressed all the time this is what life is yeah. always going to be and so it's like 
depression, all these things are no longer seen as pathologies, which they should be seen as because it is like a mental illness for a reason, right? Like it can be treated and it should be treated, but like making it seem widespread and normal by like constantly talking about it. What we're doing is we're like literally making it all seem pointless because it's like, what's the point of being better? If like, you know, what's the point of getting better if even like Lady Gaga is depressed? You know what I mean? No, I get what you're saying. And also like, because even I feel like we have like this like thing online where we're all like normalize this, normalize that. But realistically, like if you were to like, like you have like a nine to five job or something, and if you were to mess, like be like, I can't come in today. I'm too depressed. Like realistically, your job isn't going to be like, okay, that's fine. Like in some circumstances, maybe, but like realistically, if you do like fall into that, like you're going to like lose your job. You're going to like lose all these opportunities. So like, even though we're normalizing it, maybe like, the rest of the world, I feel like, isn't, like, or at least, like, the corporate world, maybe, like, isn't caught up with that. Like, they don't give a fuck. Like, it's, like, not, that's, like, not what they care about. They want you to, like, do your job, get, like, things done. And also, I feel like you can't really be on board with that, because, like, if they did, like, literally everything would fall apart. Like, that's, it's impossible to make anything function like that. You can't just, like, constantly cancel plans. Like, that's not realistic at all. Not at all. It's, like, if, like, your, like, male person was, like, no, I'm too depressed to come in today, like, you're not getting your mail, like, there's, like, like, basic things that need to be done that, like, within, like, indulging in the fact that, like, oh, everyone's depressed, everyone needs, like, time, like, things don't get done in, like, like, capitalist world that we, like, live in now, where, like, people do need to, like, do their jobs and, like, things like that. No, totally. Like, yeah, there has to be some sort of, like... I don't know, like, the word, just, like, some sort of, like, force that, like, drives you to have to, like, do things. (laughs) No, totally. And in a way, like, maybe, you know, the thing about, like, normalizing is that basically what it's saying is that we should get rid of shame around it, right? Like, we should stop shaming people for being depressed. We should stop shaming people. And it's like, yeah, I mean, in a way, yes. But, like, shame for the longest time was the driving force that forced people to actually do shit, right? Because it was, like... forced you to get better like I yeah. feel like if you're already feeling like so horrible like if you're just like oh well if I tell my work I don't feel good I'll get a month off like not that that's a thing that happens but like in yeah. like I guess like this like perfect world that like people are trying to like push towards like right like that just doesn't happen like you, you're not able to do that like you have to get things done and I think like seeing as like normalized depression stuff in like a surface level way yeah it's probably positive like if your friend is like I feel horrible like I can't do this today like giving them that like couple days to like feel better like yeah like that's like helpful but like in other like circumstances it doesn't work like you have to do certain things to like prosper in like the society we live in no totally yeah and I think like but the thing with, like, even friends as well, because for the longest time, I thought that was, like, the least negative about it, a thing about it, where it's, like, yeah, like, sometimes you do feel like shit and you just don't want to, like, stick to the plans that you made with the people, you know, yeah. with your friends or, like, your family and stuff. But at the same time, it's, like, it's it's a really shitty precedent to, like, like, you know, establish in any relationship because, like, once that becomes a norm where it's, like, oh, I feel too shitty to, like, go to a party. I feel too shitty to, like hang out with my friends you know I feel too shitty to like get out of bed and stuff it's like that's like you're never you're never like there's no point in you getting better then because like when you're depressed like that's that's the thing about like a lot of mental illnesses and obviously I don't mean like schizophrenia and all those other things the different you know like side of it but like 
all those like common like widespread mental illnesses is that like you like if you don't have any like if no one forces you to do things you're never gonna do them no never and that's the thing and I feel like going back to like surrounding yourself around like other depressed people that's why like that's such a toxic mindset to be in because like when you're depressed all of your friends are depressed like there is no motivation to get better because you're like oh we all feel shitty like we could sit together and like like lay in bed together and just like wallow and then like yeah like there's no better like feeling because you're all just like feeling so horrible there's no like pushing forward force whereas and i feel like when you have like a friend who's like I, I hate to say normal, but, like, normal-ish. Like, where they're just, like, not feeling those things. You're like, oh, like, if I want to hang out with this person, like, I need to not be, like, so depressed. Like, I need to, like, I guess, like, I don't know, just, like, feel better. And I feel like that is, like, such a force to, like, make yourself, like, want to get better and, like, go on meds or, like, work on, like, coping mechanisms. It's, like, being able to, like, ha- like survive in, like, normal society. No, totally. And I mean, like Elizabeth Wurzel talks about in Presignation as well, where she has this like metaphor that she uses throughout the book where she talks about how like, um, like depression is kind of like an addiction in and of itself, that like it's like a coping mechanism that you get addicted to, right? It's like, like doing drugs, it's like you get addicted to like being miserable. And it's like, and if you have people who like enable that in you, it's like having people around you who enable your addiction. Like, of course, like if all your friends are addicts, you're never going to get better. Like you're never going to get better. If all of your friends are miserable, you're never going to get better either because there's no point in you getting better, you know? There's no one like forcing you to get better. And she always talks about like, she also talks about like um, therapists and how like a common thing in therapy is like having a therapist sort of be mad at you for being depressed instead of like allowing you to be that way which I think is really important which I think a lot of like like I always talk really negatively about therapy on Twitter and people get really mad at me all the time like I get so many like hate comments being like like this one time I had a tweet about therapy go viral and I had like therapists like dm me and like message me being like you know, you clearly know nothing about therapy. And then they would, like, reply to that and then block me. And I was like, well, I guess somebody needs therapy, clearly. But, like, like, but I always talk negatively about it because I spent, I literally spent, like, 10 years in therapy. I'm 21. From, like, the ages of 11, like, literally, like, a decade spent in therapy, in and out, like, constantly. And it's, like, so many therapists are literally just, like, you know, like, it's okay to feel like this, you know? Let's talk about how your day went. And, like, it does nothing. Oh, yeah, because I remember as well, like, I think I started therapy maybe when I was, like, 12, 13, like, very young. And, yeah, I'm 20 now, so. And just, like, I feel like I've had, like, good therapists who help, but I feel like a lot of other ones who were just, like, it's okay to feel this way. And then you're just going and chatting for, like, 45 minutes about, like, and they're just, like, yeah, like being like, oh, it's okay. Well, maybe we should try this. And I feel like it's never like anything like, yeah, it just has never personally helped me because I just felt like one, I was either lying to them and being like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Cause like, I didn't want to like dig deep. So I guess like, maybe if you're like going into therapy with like really like the mindset that you need to get better, like that might be better than like kind of being like, not forced necessarily, but like feeling like, oh, like this is like, I should be doing this. So I guess maybe you just have to be in the right headspace, but like, I can, like, it's just never worked for me. And like, it's just felt kind of shitty, like just go and they do like, 
encourage, like not not encourage bad behavior, but like in a way they do because they're like, oh, it's all right for you. You can have an off day, but there's no like, con- like I feel like they make it seem like there's no like real life consequences for like maybe like not doing your homework because you feel suicidal. Like it's kind of just like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. I feel like it's not like I feel like you get that from like maybe like your friends and stuff where you're they're like, it's okay, we'll work. Like, and you need like a therapist to be like, no, like you need to do this, this, and this so that you're not feeling this way anymore. No, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of like the thing about therapy as well, that like by how it just functions as like a thing itself, where, you know, you like, you literally like sit in a chair and you tell them about your life, right? Like just like the way that it's set up, it's like, sometimes you also get into this like headspace where you're like almost forced to like, almost get yourself into bad situations because you don't want to be like a boring patient. Like you don't want to be someone like, like, you know, telling them boring stories about how you're just, like, laying in bed and doing nothing. Like, you yeah. want to be the entertaining one. So it's, like, you also yeah. get into this, like, horrible headspace where you're, like, trying to entertain your therapist. And, like, the way that therapy set up encourages that. Like, it's, like, Because that's how I always felt. Like, I always felt like I didn't do anything this week. Like, I just, like, sat in bed and, like, did this. And then I would tell that to my therapist and he'd be, like okay and I'd be like all right well I guess I'm gonna be destructive next week so I don't seem like I'm playing like a bore like this is like horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no, exactly I have to like go and like you know I have to go to a party I have to do a bunch of drugs so like they take me seriously <laughs> like yeah like uh or then like I'd have like a fine week and then I'd go and I'd express that and it'd be like oh like you'd feel better right and it'd be like no like I just like had an okay week and so then it just felt like counterproductive like it felt like I wasn't like being helped because I was just like yeah like I just felt icky like I wasn't I don't know like I, I'm in a similar boat with you with how I feel like therapy maybe works for some people but for me personally it's never like struck a chord and so like this is helpful no totally but I think this like widespread like normalization and like you know, like therapy promotion thing that's going on in my words, like, you know, everyone should go to therapy, you know, everyone should have a therapist, like everyone should work through their problems. It's kind of like, it just ignores the fact that it's like, there is a reason why everyone's miserable. Right. And it's like, even if it might be like, you know, it might be economic, it might be like, whatever, it might be like, maybe we can't really solve it, but it's like, just constantly trying like therapy in a way it's like, it's kind of like a bandaid, right? Like, like anything is yeah. in life, really. It's like a coping mechanism that you adopt. And it's like, but it's not, because people kind of, like, compare it to, like, regular doctors a lot where it's, like, oh, you know, like, if you had a broken leg, like, you wouldn't feel shame about it. You would go to a doctor to, like, fix it. But, like, it ignores the fact that, like, mental health problems are, like, not the same thing as a broken leg. Like, it's literally not the same thing. And I really no. hate it when people use that stupid metaphor where it's, like, you know, like, yeah, if you, if you broke your leg, you wouldn't feel bad about it. But it's, like, it's not the same thing. And, like, talking about it as if it were the same thing where it's, like, you know, but also at the same time, it's, like, like, 98% of people on Earth, or, like, in the Western world, whatever, had a broken leg, we would be concerned, right? But it's like, yeah. everyone's just, just like, oh, it's okay that everyone's miserable. We should normalize it. Yeah. No, because um, even, like, just, like, therapy as a whole, like, my friend who was looking into, like, studying psych and stuff, I think she was talking to one of her counselors, and she was like, I really don't recommend you, like, going into therapy, like, trying to, like, become a therapist right now, because, like, we have so many people right now trying to like become therapists that like there really is not a need for other more like psych students to go into like therapy unless you want to go into like a specialized field that like there isn't many people in because right now like I want to say at least like five of my friends 
are like psych students. Like, oh my so god, biology. Like, because it's just like, yeah. Like, I feel like it's like, especially like in this like society, like it's just normalized. Like, want to go into like therapy because like therapy was so pushed on us like when we were younger that like I think it just seems like oh yeah like I went to therapy like that could be an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, but there's also something to be said about this, like, impulse that people who, you know, needed therapy themselves for years have this, like, impulse to, like, go and help other people now. Like... No, definitely. It's a... Because I feel like... Yeah, I wouldn't... I don't know if I personally would want to go to a therapist who, like, is like, oh, yeah, like, back in the day, like, I was really struggling. Like, like, I feel like that's, like, not gonna help me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the thing about, like, this is what Persignation is such like, I, I hate when people are like, it's such an important book, right? But it's, it is kind of an important book for like, not just like for people who are struggling, but also it's like an important study of the whole phenomenon of like mental illness and like therapy and like, you know, like antidepressants and all of that. Like in a way, instead, like she was meant to like write a study of like depression in America, right? And she ended up writing a memoir. But in a way that memoir is a study of mental health in America anyway. Just like mental health in the world in general, because it's like, it really sort of epitomizes and like explains all these things like step by step. Like literally everything we've talked about on this episode so far is covered in the book. Like, you know, like therapists who need therapy themselves, like over, like all of these things are like literally in that book because for the whole book, she talks about how, like, you know, she struggled with therapy for years because it seems like most of the peri- or most of her therapists like needed therapists themselves. And I think yeah. anyone who like went through peri- th- through therapy for years will admit that like that's exactly how it is. Like most of the like the mental health professionals you're gonna go to like are gonna be really messed up. Yeah. No, because I feel like to like study all of that stuff, you have to have some sort of stomach or like because I feel like doctors and stuff like outside of like therapy like if you're like going as a doctor to like study like breast cancer or something like that like you're not coming from breast cancer experience like you're just like interested or not interested in the topic but like that's like what you choose to specialize in whereas I feel like with mental health like there's more like you're like oh like I can relate to this more whereas then I feel like with like true like medical issues you're not really like going in there as like someone with like an end to that I mean in a way but also I had a lot of friends who like I mean I literally everyone I know who wanted to go into medicine had some sort of personal story but like I like people who wanted to go into like you know like cancer med like medicine, I don't know cancer research and stuff they had like personal experiences like you know like members of their family had had cancer and stuff like that I yeah. do think that people yeah. usually tend to like go into fields because they have some sort of like story connecting them to it. And obviously like it doesn't matter. Like if you go into like cancer research or like cancer, like, you know, whatever medicine, like it doesn't matter if like your grandma had cancer, like that doesn't impact the yeah. way you see it at all. Well, it's with mental health issues. Like it really does. Like it really like messes up the whole thing. And that's why like therapy and like all these things are so dangerous. No, definitely. What is your opinion of, um, like, antidepressants and, like, medication for mental health issues, as like, in general? No, because, like, I have been on, like, SSRIs, like, on and off since I want to say I was, like, 13. And, like, for me personally, like, I've just, like, never, like, liked the way they made me feel. And, like, I get that, like, for, like, other people they can, like, because that's the thing. I guess, like, 
from my perspective, I don't like antidepressants. Like, I feel like they're like, like, it's never worked for me. Like, I feel like a zombie on them. Like, they're like, just like, not for me. But I guess like, but I do have like friends who've had like great experiences on like Prozac, Zoloft, like all of those like SSRIs that like, they loved it. And like, when they're not on it, they feel like horrible. And that's why it's always like messed with my head. Cause I'm like, maybe I'm not even depressed. Cause like, this isn't working for me, but I just feel like genuinely, I feel like sometimes those medicines just don't work for people. Like, it's just like, not, I don't know. Yeah. So I've never really liked medication for like mental issues, like at all for me personally. Yeah. No, me neither. I had like a really brief experience with Zoloft when I was like 13 as well. And yeah, no, I, that's, that's when I was on the lot too, like 13. It like made me feel horrible. I like got off of it really fast. It was like, I can't do this. Like it's horrible. It's making me feel worse. And it's like, I never tried medication after that. And I do know people have been on medication for years and stuff, but I think it, they obviously help people and obviously some people need them. But I think like there's something again, just as like, there's something about something really like eerie about therapy being pushed on everyone the same can be said about like medication being pushed on everyone but it's like a lot of people like people who might not need medication at all who literally this like depression is like you know situational or whatever like it's literally they're like going through a difficult period and they get put on like these like really like 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 ssris and stuff like zoloft and like prozac and like they're not like light drugs. They really mess up your brain chemistry. They like really mess you up in a way that's like simply like is completely ignored and like never talked about it. And like to like go back to like prosic nation, like in the epilogue to the book, she talks about it as well. Like the fact that like it's literally a prosic nation is in like so many people are on antidepressants now that it's like so yeah. widespread. It's almost like comical. Like it looks hilarious or like really like insane how many people are in it. No, and I feel like even just, like, the like the thought process of putting, like, a 13-year-old girl, like, on, like, these, like, intense medications just, like, does not seem right to me. Like, I don't know. Or, like, even, like, not even just, like, mental health things, but, like, birth control and stuff. Like, putting, like, a 13-year-old, like, on birth control just feels, like, so wrong. Like, something yeah. about that. Just, like, these, like, intense medicines that, like, change, like, your body, change, like the way you like perceive yourself and just like giving them to like children. Cause you're like, Oh, like this is fine. Like it just seems icky now. Like as like an older person, like looking back at it. And like, I feel like if I had children now, like I definitely wouldn't like put them on meds until like they were like much old, like until like they could shoot. Like, I don't know. Like it just feels like, like, cause when you're like 13, your like brain is still changing. Like things are still like, you're like still growing up like your brain isn't developed yet and to like put them on like this drug that like completely like alters your brain just feels like wrong like morally no totally yeah and it's like the thing about like 13 year olds and stuff is that like that age specifically like you know that like famous quote from like the virgin suicides like doctor you've never been a 13 year old girl like being 13 and being a girl especially it's like a very particular like space and time like you are going through all of these changes and like it feels really fucking insane and so like try and numb it with like all this medication and all these drugs and stuff and like try to like shake you out of this feeling that is actually completely normal and like widespread and common is crazy and like that's yeah that's kind of that's evil it's literally just evil it feels so morally wrong to like just like push and it is like so normal it's like I feel like genuinely like 
if you're at that age and you go to like any kind of doctor and you're just like, I feel horrible. They'll be like, Oh, we should try like Zoloft. Like we should try this. And that just feels like such like an intense life decision. That's just like been made so normal. That's just like, Oh, it's fine. Like, yeah oh yeah just like go on these drugs that are going to completely change your like brain chemistry and like you're never going to grow up like a proper human being because of it it's like that's crazy that it's like a widespread thing yeah no, it's, it's insane literally and there's also something to like because like in the book elizabeth talks a lot about how like you know it, take, it took her years to like get to this point where she needed medication like all this misery and all of that to the point where like doctors would even prescribe her medication. She's like, what well, from doctor to doctor, literally begging them to like give her something. No one would. And it's like now, obviously it helped her and like some people need it and so on and so on. Yeah. So it's like, there's something to be said about like this, like widespread, like, yeah, it's just, it's been completely normalized that it's like, oh yeah. Like if you're even slightly miserable, you know, let's numb your pain right away. And I think that's also, like, the thing with, like, like confessional culture as well, where it's, like, you know, some people are going to be good at it. As in, like, some people, you know, some as in, like, some people are going to need medication. Some people are going to, like, you know, have this desire to confess and overshare and, like, do it in this, like, artistic and beautiful way. And then some people genuinely should ignore those urges. Like, it's not a good urge for everyone. Mm-mm. Yeah, like... Yeah, like just like horrible. <laughs> it's like horrible to think about. Like, uh. um, yeah, no, it's definitely true. It's uh, it, it is horrible, and it's like the fact that like all of these things have been like quote unquote normalized and like widespread and accepted. It's, it's awful. 